Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Outspoken with White and Jordan. 100% engagement. It's a total disrespect. Download, stand well back, listen. Jim White and Simon Jordan. I don't see that view. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. Hello and thanks for downloading Outspoken, the podcast that brings you the very best of our daily Talk Sports show. Simon and I discussed Leicester's new managerial appointment, asked whether or not Jack Grealish's title celebrations overstepped the mark, and we're joined in studio by legendary England cricket captain Mike Brearley to look ahead to the upcoming Ashes series. We are looking out the window. Look at that. Another beautiful morning, Simon, in this part of the world. And if you're into your cricket, it all starts today, doesn't it? Oh, absolutely. It? Yeah, absolutely. Were you were you once a big follower of English cricket? Did oh, you ever go so. to the Ashes? Did yep. you ever? Yeah, um, I, I was a big follower of Surrey um, because that was a team that my father supported. Really? Um, I, um, I played cricket to, to a decent standard. Um, Mark Butcher's dad um, coached me for a little bit because he taught at a school in Croydon. Um, and I loved my cricket. Rob, Robin Jackman was the bowler I used to really like. And I'm hugely... Uh, and a huge admirer of someone that's coming on today. Um, oh, yes. Which is Mike Brearley. Yeah. Uh, and that ca- te- test captaincy. Yeah. Um, that won that series in 1981, which was a series I was glued to as a 13-year-old kid. Excellent. Both of them, all of them. Well, Mike, yeah, Bob you're Willis, right. the late Bob Willis, all the all of that crowd, Graham Dilley, mm-hmm. the whole the whole kit and caboodle. Yeah, Loved, Mike Brearley's coming on. Mike Brearley will be joining us uh, later this morning um, on on this, uh, the opening day of the Ashes series. I, think I read his first book as well about the art of captaincy or whatever it was called. Because he was no, he's a a brilliant, brilliant. Left a big impression on you. No, it did, but I read it when I was like eighteen, nineteen when he first when he first wrote it. That's right. obviously about ten years ago. Oh, well, you'll be looking forward to uh, very much. Yeah, sorry, I missed that. That was about ten years ago. I, I get it. I get it. You're on form, yeah. uh, Simon. A lot to get through uh, this morning. What, one of the the, the stories that we, uh, producer Luke and I homed in on right away, the back of the Times. There's a line. Grealish is told. And uh, this is Jack Grealish, of course, celebrating Manchester City, winning the treble, maybe celebrating more than uh, most of the other players. But anyway, celebrating, and it was all all above board. Or was it? Gareth Southgate, of course, uh, England coach with uh, Grealish there on England duty. Gareth Southgate says, quotes, there's a line to the level of celebrations that players should be entitled to before England duty. After Jack Grealish uh, enjoyed three days of alcohol-filled partying to mark Manchester City's treble triumph. Now, then when you look at the quotes, yeah, sure, there's a line, there's a headline. But then when you look at what Southgate is saying, 
he doesn't really go into it in any great degree. He says, what is different is that everyone posts everything on social media. I wouldn't have liked a few of my nights out to be posted publicly. My generation would have been in a lot more problems. So he's saying nowadays, when you can't get away with anything, yeah. when everybody's got camera phones and everybody films everything and then mm. posts it, someone like Jack is going to be trending maybe at a time that he doesn't want to be. Yeah. Um, and maybe this week is a case in point. I mean, is it ridiculous? The optics of it, what what, what do the optics look like? I mean, has the Grealish situation become uh, a ridiculous argument of optics? Does this country merely love to idolise, I don't know, a Gaza-style maverick? Um, I don't know. I mean, it's a strange one, isn't it? Because only certain sports seem to attract these sort of outlooks at certain times. You don't see tennis players or athletes running around feeling the need to let off steam by consuming inordinate amounts of alcohol. On the flip side, I don't particularly have an issue. I've had an issue with Jack's behaviour where he has let himself down in previous situations where he's been found on the side of the road during lockdown mm. or he's not been able to turn up to training because he's put himself in a situation or very young in his career. The the uh, the stigma has been attached to him that he's a party boy and all of that stuff. And we've seen the legacy of what that can be. Paul Gascoigne is a case in point, and obviously George Best. And we can talk about a variety of different people that have had issues and, and challenges with alcohol. I, I don't know if Jack's in that category. If there's a general concern that he is, then there's then there's a necessity for football and it's the people that look after him in football to look after him properly. I don't think that. I just think he's a young man, in 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 absolute. Top Nick enjoying himself after an impressive season where he's come to the fore. The questions about his ability to perform at Manchester City's levels are beginning to dissipate, and he's letting off steam. And Southgate is talking about it in a way which attracts a headline for the back page of the newspaper. There is a line, and then you go into the body of what he's saying, and he's saying, "This is a non-story. Look away." Yes, you know, I, we did I this agree. when we were, when we were yeah. younger. Yeah. We, we didn't have them in our thinking, particularly for these sort of meaningless games. And, and the reality of it is, is there's nothing here for us to look at. It would have been good if Gareth had said there's a line, but certainly Jack has not crossed it. Um, yeah, I mean, he's just I mean, having fun, and and he is having fun. We're not giving him a pass here, Jack. I mean, if it was to become a, a you know, well, Gareth a, a can't really habitual win. Habitual practice, then maybe. But Gareth can't really win. Um, either which way, because he, obviously he will be conscious of the fact that everything that comes out of his mouth will be scrutinised and what he doesn't say will be turned into something that he should have said. I don't see, and I've been very critical of Jack Grealish, I don't see any issue with someone letting off steam. You know, there are better ways to do it in my view, but he's a 26-year-old kid with more money than God, mm. just come off the back of winning a treble, He's in bloody good nick. He's not let anybody down at any time during the course of this season. And that shouldn't be something we're thankful for. It yeah. should be something that's a, that is a tacit acceptance or expectation of. And I don't see this. I think there's a fascination with Jack Grealish. And that may, be, that may well be because he's the architect of his own downfall, because he's created a narrative. And once you create a position within the media, I'm not having a go at the media here, by the way. Once you have a position, once you, once you, they will constantly forever refer back to that. Once upon a time, I went to a dressing room at the football club. I was forever an interfering chairman. Once upon a time, Todd Bowley's made a series of mistakes. He'll be a know-nothing chairman for as long as the yeah. media want to hang that moniker on him. And Jack will be now considered someone that's fair game because he's a he's a he's a good-looking lad that's got you know good-looking girlfriends in his life. He's a flamboyant footballer, and in his background, he's had a few nights out that people have gone. Okay, and of course, previous yeah, managers have pulled him on it. Media part, though, in the past, you were critical of him. 
I was critical of behaviour at that time that warranted criticism. If you're found drunk on the side of a road with one slipper on, one slipper off, having having crashed your Range Rover and ultimately being in a situation where you're breaching COVID rules, you merit criticism. If you then abuse the manager's trust the next time out and are given an opportunity to go out and, re, um, um, and let off steam and then you can't turn up the train next morning because you're half cut, you merit criticism. That's fair criticism. Unfair criticism is to say, once upon a time, he was found half-cut in Ibiza, throwing himself around as a 19-year-old boy, and that carries through his career forever. Yeah. That's not fair criticism. I mean, in, in this instance, as I say, the headline, there's a line Grealish has told, but then when you look at the quote, no and he- Henry Winter in the Times, and I'm looking at the Times, Henry Winter says, Grealish has every right to celebrate what he and City achieved. We can't slate players as robots, robots and then slate Grealish for being human. Reveling in trophies. Southgate says there's a line. Well, Grealish keeps getting over the finishing line first. England need to do that. Yes, and that's fine. I don't think I don't think Henry needs to justify one example by by putting up another. People being in the media trotting out tripe and regurgitating something of no substance isn't the same as people needing to drink themselves to Palookavu as a justification for letting off steam. They're two different things. They're forced comparisons. We get fed up with people like Harry Maguire going into the media after a game and turning around and saying precisely nothing and having no sentiment behind what he's saying besides what he thinks is right to say. We get tired of hearing PR guys inside the social media uh, enclaves of Man United creating content designed to meet what they think the sub what the meet or the uh, public wants that's that's one criticism that doesn't mean that ultimately because someone can drink themselves to a standstill in celebration that that should be justified i would like to see that the, the relationship between alcohol and english footballers is severed because I don't think it brings out the best in them. I don't severed. Think it, well, I don't think it. Not I reduced or well, dulled well, down. I, severed. Well, look. I mean, severed. Is, I'm not being some old curmudgeon, but I don't think. I don't think drinking yourself to a standstill for every, any period of time enhances your athletic capabilities. You don't really see it in other sports. You perhaps see it in cricket, and I was not enamoured with the 2005 Ashes team turning up to, to the, you know, number 10 Downing Street drunk yeah. as a skunk, yeah. albeit most of those guys in there probably wouldn't have noticed because they're probably half the politicians were half-cut themselves, or, or yeah. seemingly so. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I just look at it and say, I look at tennis players, but then they'll turn around and say, well, tennis players go off grid for about two months, mm. whereas footballers in this day and age possibly don't. And it's different, Simon. Tennis players don't get on the top of an open-top bus parade and go down a, a street that's mobbed in Manchester. I mean, it's no. totally different. There's a, there's an adulation that these guys get, that Jack is getting, that others are getting. And, and Well, we don't see boxers... Well, there is an element of certain boxers have behaved in a certain oh, way. Boxers and behaviour, come on. But, but, yeah, I know, but yeah. not necessarily from the point... Yeah, I mean, I suppose that's not a particularly good point because we've seen the challenges that Tyson's had. We've seen the challenges that Ricky think, Hatton's had. I think the uh, bottom line is that Jack knows to the line. And let me tell you, I know Jack's parents and Kevin, his dad, is a great fella who, who likes to celebrate yeah. a little bit himself. It was but I mean... But drunk the, himself when someone interviewed he, him the other day. And he's bloody proud of his son and so he should be. Yeah. And at the end of the day, I think... They know the line. I don't think we're veering into Gaza territory. Oh, there's no danger. No, I, there's a danger I, I, of that. I don't, I don't think there is. I don't think there's a necessity to make that comparison. No. I don't see any... any. I mean, we didn't... I mean, obviously, during the time, a lot of people didn't know Paul mm. Gascoigne's travails outside of the industry. That's right. They knew it inside. They yeah. knew it. I mean, I had people like Curtis Fleming that played for me, that played with him at Middlesbrough. And they used to tell me the stories of Paul Gascoigne coming in and having a shot before he kicked off a game for yeah. Middlesbrough yeah. and stuff of that nature. Yeah. But in this instance, I just think 
He's not 26, by the way. He's 28, according to someone. That's, okay, split hairs, doesn't matter. He's still a young man. Yeah. Um, and, and in a quite immature industry where people are lionised and lauded and applauded for everything sure. they do, good and bad. Yeah. But I don't think... I, I think this is a... A sad indication, and I do. I genuinely think this, and you're going to get bristle with me, that the propensity in this country is to build people up so we can whittle them down. And and Jack Grealish letting off steam for three days post the biggest achievement in English football in 24 years, mm. to me, is not an event where we need to start making an intervention. No, fair enough. Uh, Scott, the Hammers fan, wants to know, Simon, where actually is Palookaville? I'm not sure, do you know? Where is Palookaville? Palookaville. It's a place that you go to oblivion. Oh, I see. 100% engagement. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Simon, um, um, we're looking at the situation regarding managerial appointments, yes. managerial vacancies. Uh, of course, there is one at Leeds United. There is one at Leicester City. Maybe not much longer uh, at Leicester City because we now hear that Leicester, this morning, close to appointing Manchester City's coach Enzo Maresca as their new manager. Uh, personal terms reportedly now agreed. So that's an interesting route they are going down or that they seemingly are choosing to go down. Um, promotion specialists such as... Roy Hodgson, Sam Allardyce, and mm. others. Maybe Warnock, but Warnock mm. stays on at Huddersfield. Are they beginning to become a thing of the past, or are they still with us? Um, I'm not. I don't know why Roy Hodgson really brought into the bracket of promotion specialists. But I have always felt that a lot of these promotion specialists also turn into relegation specialists as well, because a lot of the teams they get promoted tend to have get relegated the following season. Yeah, I just think there's good managers and capable managers, and there isn't. Um, and in the instance of someone that gets promotion or, or saves a football club from relegation, which is often the case in recent times that, that Warnock's doing, going into football clubs like Rotherham and Cardiff and Huddersfield and wherever else he's been in recent times and suddenly rescued the situation from relegation, is just about competent, good managers. Some of the football management that we are led to believe is so revolutionary. It's a bit like the Emperor's New Clothes. Yeah. It isn't really as revolutionary or as evolutionary as people think it is. It's just common sense. Neil goes into a football club, for example, of Warnock, gets everybody on side, gets disenfranchised players that have been bombed by the previous manager. It's like the old saying, isn't it? All the angels win, rejoice in heaven when one sinner repents. And ultimately, if you get one player back on side, it brings a different dynamic to their thinking. Once they've been bombed and their yeah. no future's no here, they bring them back on side, you get 10% more from them. So it's just common sense and good managers exude a lot of that and are able to bring people together rather than alienate people. It's just that Leicester, and you're right, it's a good point you make about Roy, not, not a promotion specialist, but you know what I mean, a very safe pair very of safe hands. Very safe pair of hands, yeah. But the Italian Simon, Maresca, has been a first-team manager only once, a 14-game spell at Parma yeah. in 2021, highly regarded by Pep Guardiola. Yeah. So that in itself is 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 a, a very much a, a sizable tick in the box. Yeah. But, you know, when your aim is to go back up at the first attempt, yeah. is he the kind of man you want? See, I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm one of those that gets a little bit wary and weary of this acolyte status of people that are associated with the top-level managers subsequently have to be good. Karanka was Mourinho's mate, so he had to be good. Someone is Bielsa's mate, so he has to be good. Steve Someone, McLaren with, with Sir Alex. Someone has to be good because they're Pep Guardiola. Pep Guardiola is a f phenomenal manager, no doubt about it. But managing a side where you're given all the best tools and making them stay online and being able to constantly uh, refresh their mentality that you they will play the way you want to yeah. is a gift, but also it's a 
pleasure to have the best players around you if you've got the capability of elevating above them. Now, coming from a coaching background, I'm assuming the guys at Leicester understand the, the, the reality of what they require and what is required to get a team back into some sort of order not just in the championship, but full stop, because the club has has fallen away. The players have been allowed to put in performances for a significant period of time, which are not befitting of their on-paper resumes. And so they've subsequently got precisely what they deserve, which is relegation to the championship. So now a new dynamic is needed to be created, similar to Burnley. Sean Dyche went out the door. They, you know, they had an interim uh, period with um, Sean Dyche's assistant, and then they replaced him with Vincent Company. Right. Some would say, well, what does Vincent Company possibly know about managing in the championship. He never went anywhere near it as a player. He's managed, he's played for the best coach um, uh, uh, in, in, in the world at the moment in time, Guardiola, at Manchester City, and was an absolute leader amongst those players. He went to Anderlecht in an elite league and did okay there. But you know what? He's probably just a good leader and a good communicator. No, but come on, he had two to three years' experience before he took the Burnley job. Yes. This guy's got 14 games but under you, his but belt. But you also said to me, when I talked about him going to Burnley, well, he didn't do very much at Anderlecht, did he? He wasn't exactly pulling up any trees. That was a conversation that you and I had last year. So yes, he's got managerial experience, but number twos at football clubs have also got an inordinate amount of managerial experience. What they tend to be is they tend to be the different ear. They tend to be a different tactical voice, right? So now we're asking him, can he take that different ear mentality, which might often be the softer approach, so the manager gets the opportunity to be aloof from the players and not too close at times. Yeah. Can he take that skill set? Because mm. clearly he's got tactical ability. Yeah. Clearly you wouldn't be inside the inside the inner workings of Man City if you didn't have that. The question is, when you interview someone like that, do they exhibit the traits of someone that's capable of leading when the muck and bullets start flying? And if that's the case, then it's irrelevant that he's not managed at this moment in time. Sure, it's, get it's, him in. Get him in the door. Uh, I, mean, I mean, he seems to be further up the list than the likes of Dean Smith, who's there, than the likes of Scott Parker, who might have wanted it, than, well, we like, can, than we, the we, likes but, of Daniel but, Farker. But we can work out why those questions may well be asked and then rejected. Might have De interviewed very well, well which is something you stress. Yeah, but, and you, but how you interview someone is not let them put their interview face on and tell you whatever you want to hear. You get into the bones of what they do and don't think and put them into a place and space where you get the honest answers from them. Dean Smith being discounted. Well, Dean Smith being discounted because his achievements at relegated Norwich was to give them a mid-table finish in the championship first season back before getting the old Spanish archers. All right? So that's not necessarily a credential. <laughs> Scott Parker, well, he can't keep his trap shut. So he's going to reap the whirlwind. And there is a legacy, and there's a, a bit of hypocrisy from me there, because ultimately he will now carry that stigma in people like mine's up in my yeah, eyes. But he's, but he's also got two promotions in his resume. Yeah, and he's also got himself in a situation where owners will think they can't possibly trust him. And he's also oh, just I got binned know. out of a Belgium club. So, Belgium? I think it was a Belgium club he went to, wasn't it? Yeah. So with that in mind, his currency has diminished. So then maybe, maybe Scott has been the architect. And, and of course... He's entitled to redeem himself in the same way that my perspective on yeah, Marco right, Silva has changed. Right. But what you have done is taken us into a space whereby Maresca, yeah? Well, again, unless you're sat across the table from somebody sure. and, and interviewing them and understanding what you've got. Yeah. Every football club has a unique dynamic, which is they have a unique feel and fibre and fabric and set of requirements. And in this instance, Leicester City, I've, I've managed to do an incredible act of self-harm, aided and abetted by a manager swanning off to Celtic. And now you've got a set of players that are going to be are going to be decimated because a few of them are going to go out the door whether it be Madison and um, Harvey Barnes or God knows whoever else and Telemans has gone. gone as well yeah. um, so you're going to have the bare bones of a playing squad that resembled the you know the Vardys of the world might stay and do their job and not just talk about it in the media stay and go and bang in 25 goals in the championship and help your side get out of the division I think you've got a nice little blanket a nice little canvas there and if this fella 
um, isn't just all talk and platitudes like the fellow was at Southampton, Ruben Sellers, and has got the chops to get down and dirty, get underneath the bonnet of a team that needs to reboot. And maybe we've seen it. We've seen the fact that the championship isn't all just bite, Mm. Be and bark. It's also about the way you play because Burnley okay. played their way through that division. They so, played out of that division. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Download, stand well back, listen. Outspoken with White and Jordan. From the world's biggest sports radio station, Talk Sport. I've just turned around, Simon. England 32 for one yep. at Edge Baston. Of course, the Ashes series underway. I wonder what this man thinks of that. Legendary England cricket captain Mike Brealey joins us here in studio. Mike, no better morning for you to join Simon and myself and everybody listening. Good except morning. I, except I can't watch it as closely as I'd like to. So, Mike, um, the Ashes test is underway. Um, what's the expectation from an English viewpoint? Are, are you optimistic? This is Australia. This is a big four. Reasonably optimistic. <laughs> you can't really go much further than that. I mean, it's a home series and we usually do better in this country than in Australia and they don't do quite as well. And this new England team and attitude is very exciting. But one never knows. Uh, uh, I'm, you know, I've... There's a but here, I don't Mike. know. There's, there's a, a but, but there. Well, there's a but because um, cricket's like that. And they're a good team. Australia just won the World Cricket Championship final. Um, they're, they're probably... Oh, I heard Mike Atherton say you know, that if they were picking a, a team out of the two teams... He's, he only just got to getting five England players into the 11 and six Australians. So they're just, you know, there's that Lip and tuck. edge of closeness. Yeah. Well, you're right, mate. I mean, it's only 18 months uh, on from the capitulation, if you like, yes. in Australia. So mm. you, you want this to be a very different series. Of course mm. you do. Mm. And it's up to England to make it different, yes. isn't it? I think they will make it different, whatever happens. They're playing differently. Their whole orientation is different. It's geared towards... Uh, attack rather than defence. It's geared towards trying to be less afraid of losing or defeat or failure, both individually and at the team whole team level. So, and they play more inventive strokes. The, the the bowlers are willing to set more attacking and more varied fields. So, I think on the whole, you know, the attitude has changed and it's caught on through the whole team. I mean, when you look at it, Simon, England have won 11 of 13 tests mm. since the Ashes yep. um, because of the, the very approach that Mike is talking about. Mm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, ultimately, it's front foot thinking, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, it's a psychological approach. I mean, I, I when I was a young man, I read his book and was fascinated by some of the things that he alluded to about leadership and the art of it and the meaning of it in cricket and a variety of other different permutations. But you look back at the England team and where they've gone and the journeys that they've been on from the series that he took over for me and both in 81 to landing in 2005 with a dynamic that achieved an outcome. Mm-hmm. And... The, the, the malaises and the challenges and the troughs and the peaks. We have a side that's very good at this moment in time. Uh, we mm. have a coach that's very good at this mm. moment in time. Yes. And the players are responding to it. We have a brand of cricket that's changing yes. because of the nature of all the different disciplines in cricket with the T20 stroke making is becoming very different. It's long gone of the days of Chris Tavry as an opener that blocked and blocked and blocked and played a certain role. There's still that role to be played in Test cricket. And I still think Test cricket mm. is the blue ribbon event mm. and needs to be protected and looked after mm. more than it possibly is at times. Mm. But I this agree. is a fascinating series. Yeah. It's a fascinating series. Yeah. I mean, Australia are a very good side. They are. Um, and, you know, Labuschagne and Smith and Head, who seems to be scoring a mm. runner ball, mm. 150s and things mm. like that. And you never know with uh, Warner. He, he might well turn up trumps this time. Absolutely. Stuart Broad versus yeah. Warner is a very yeah. exciting prospect too. Well, yeah. well, Steve Harmison was telling us, Mike, it, it, he can't call it. It, no. it, it yeah. could be a, a whitewash in favour of Australia. It could be a very solid uh, England series win. It could be nip and tuck. It could, it could be, be anything. It could be anything, yes. It could be anything. Yeah. Uh, That's Mike, part, of, part of the pleasure. Indeed. Mike joins us this morning, uh, Simon. Uh, the launch of his book, Mike Brearley, Turning Over the Pebbles. And I have to say, um, a life in cricket and in the mind. Well, that's a bit of an understatement, Mike. You know, uh, in it, with wide-ranging meditations on sport, philosophy, literature, religion, leadership, psychoanalysis, music and more. There's a lot in this, is there not? <laughs> it may be too much. Mm-hmm. Why you read it out? <laughs> <laughs> so what do we get with this? What, well, what were you hoping to achieve? Well, it is a memoir and it is looking back over a long life already and a very varied one because, you know, I started playing cricket. I uh, taught in a university and I've become a psychoanalyst, a psychotherapist, and I've enjoyed writing a few books as well. So there's, I've been very lucky in family-wise and other ways as well. But it's, I think the main thing is to try and explain to myself and other people how did this little boy whose mother said to him when he was age nine, if you carry on like this, you'll do nothing but play cricket and football all your life. How did he get to be a <laughs> psychotherapist and have this all these different things? And they do hang together more than one might expect. I mean, it's called turning over the pebbles, which means looking again at things from another point of view. And actually, if you think about it, when people watch cricket, sport too, but I think in particular cricket, there always there's a great deal of conversation about it and thinking about it and argument and you know was he right to put this bowler mm-hmm. on then why did somebody bowl in that way at this batsman what about the field they've set what about England's attitude why did they throw it away why did they win from how did they get to win from this impossible so I think there's it's not just a physical sport is not just physical it's in the mind too. Mm. Mm. I mean, we we discover so many things about you. Back in the 60s, you joined the Samaritans. Yes, yes. Tell me about that. Well, I can remember doing it, but I can't quite remember why. Why? I don't think I really quite knew. And I think it's interesting that I did, because it, you know, what I discovered from it, answering the phone for four hours at a time, with the occasional ones all night, you know, you sit, uh, wait for the phone to go, is I could listen to people. 
So, you know, they didn't easily or readily ring off. And that was something that's very central to being a psychotherapist. And the second thing that I discovered was I wanted to know more. Why were people so depressed? Why were they finding life impossible or difficult to that degree? So it, it, it enlisted my curiosity about that too and helped me to move on into finding a way into this thing called psychotherapy. Sure thing. You know, you were considered England's greatest cricket captain. Um, it, how do you cope with the responsibility of it? How did you cope with the responsibility of it? Because it's different for others, Mike. Yes. It was tough for Joe Root. It might yeah. not be as tough for Ben Stokes. Yeah. How did you cope? Well, sometimes with a great deal of difficulty. Didn't look that way. Well, yes, but it's like a swan. I have that in the book too. That you know, it's, it's paddling vigorously under under the water, but you can't see the mm. feet going like this. <laughs> it looks as if it's just serenely. Yes, it's the iceberg analysis and all it the is. failures are beneath the surface exactly. and all the successes are above it. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, you know, there were moments of com of near loss of confidence, especially about my batting. But but also, did I have a right to be there? You know, that sort of feeling. And and sometimes I needed the support. The people in the team, the Bob Willis is the Embothans, uh, I don't know, Clive Radler's the other people at Middlesex and so on, saying, you know, you keep going, you're all right, we want you there. Sometimes I had that, needed that. And sometimes there was, there was a lot of help from the team. You know, the team was full of, the England team of that time was mm. full of strong characters, very different people. And they, live, they, they enlivened each other. And they enlivened me too, someone like Ian, both of them. You know, he took the mickey, he was a bit... He could make silly jokes, he could... Irreverent. Irreverent, mm. he could set fire to Ken Barrington's hair on the aeroplane, you know, which wasn't a particularly good idea, but, you know, he was like that. And he, <laughs> he, and he was always... A, he, was, he was tactically good, always wanting to attack, a bit like Ben, in that right. way. Right, right. And, and Brendan McCullum. Um, so, you know, he helped me. I could help him sometimes by occasionally calming him down, occasionally giving him his head when he wasn't so confident himself, occasionally stirring him up, getting Peter Willie to growl at him from mid-off, you know, you're bowling like my aunt, my great-aunt or something like that. <laughs> and, and that would make Boss sort of put his chest bristle. out and bristle and come in harder. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Mike Simon has uh, a book out at this moment, Turning Over the Pebbles, yep. um, and anyone who's into their cricket, and not just that, anyone who is into philosophy, psychoanalysis, leadership, would be well advised uh, to buy themselves this book because uh, so many good areas uh, of discussion to be had um, in, in the areas I've just mentioned, uh, even music, um, literature religion it covers so many different fields leadership though mike this fellow was a, a leader he'll be bashful about this i know him but you were a leader in business undoubtedly at your young age yeah you came on the scene you exploded on the scene this fellow made 100 million when he was age 30 um and of course bought crystal palace and gave it a seriously good go mm -hmm. over 10 years mm -hmm. but you can be regarded quite rightly mike as a leader in sport leadership Sir Alex Ferguson speaks about leadership. What does it take to be a good leader, Mike? Uh, it takes um, energy, passion. It takes um, interest in other people. I mean, I don't mean intellectually. I mean personally, you know, you can put your arm around someone, you can talk to them, you can 
talk to them when they're being difficult. You can talk to them when they're depressed. You can, you, you can engage with people, I think, is the thing. You also need to have some interest in, well, a good deal of interest in the tactics of a game like cricket or, you know, the actual skill sets and uh, tactics and strategies. So all of that comes into it. I, I divide it into two. There's sort of getting the best out of people, man management, if you like, or woman management, uh, and uh, um, tactics or strategy and what you might call the technicalities of the game. Yeah, you're always a great believer in that, Simon. Oh, Get yeah. the best out of people around you. Well, of course, but I also think there's a, an inherent responsibility to have an innate sense of fairness yes, in your outlook on equitability. I agree. Um, and trying to connect with people and bring them to a point where they value themselves at the same time as you value them. Of course, you've got to be, if you're a captain, and, and he is a remarkable captain as well as a remarkable man because I followed him and, and read his book when I was about 18, 19, watched him as a captain, looked at his leadership lessons in life because I think often leaders are made, but people can always be enhanced yes. and given a different focus and different perspective. And I think that the, that the responsibility of leadership, in order to be able to impart it, you have to be good at what you're doing. The tactical side of things, where he excelled, I think, is that you are good at what you do. But the man management and be able to communicate, the ability to communicate with people and find that common relatability with whoever it is. It's not just walking with men, you know, walking with kings and retaining the common touch sort of stuff, mm -hmm. but having the ability to be able to communicate with an Ian Botham mm -hmm. or with a Jeffrey Boycott yes, yes. or with a Bob Willis yes. is a unique skill. Mm. Is a unique uh, any yeah. captaincy? I liked what you said about fairness yeah. too, because on the one hand you have to be fair. You have to give enough time, not only to the star players, let's say, uh, but to the whole team, absolutely, and and the people on the fringes and so on, for whom life is not always easy, and you can sometimes forget them. They need to be or, valued, or sort of keep them out of your mind. Yeah. Um, but and and at the same time, you have to deal with each individual a bit differently. Mm. So it's it's got, and I think people can, if you are broadly fair, people can see that you're doing that. Also, if you're authentic, and if, if you do things sensitive. for the right, if you're authentic, authentic, if yeah, you I don't say entirely. things yeah. for the purpose, you know, you, you say it because you mean it, and you're consistent, and you stay with it, and you're fair. I agree. How, how did you deal with so many big personalities in the England dressing room around that time, though, Mike? Well, I think largely they dealt they dealt with it themselves. They were the best players in England. They were strong characters. They. They respected each other and enjoyed each other's company, even though there were there were such differences. But I think you know that is, that can be a difficulty, and sometimes it can be a difficulty between senior players and junior players, or between um, well, occasionally it can be between batsmen and bowlers. You know, the batsmen think the bowlers are losing them the match, and the bowlers think the batsmen keep throwing their wickets away, and they have to go out and struggle and flog themselves again, like second row forwards, you mm, know? Absolutely. So um, there are all sorts of ways things can tip, and sometimes the team can get a bit cynical with each other. On the whole, banter and teasing is a good thing. I mean, mm. it, it livens things up, and yeah. you can yeah. say things that can't easily be said in other ways as well. And some would say, Mike, that Ben Stokes's leadership for yes. England has yes. been transformative. Yes. What, what do you make of him? Oh, it has. I'm, I'm amazed at the transformation and the speed of it and the way that it's continued for, as you said, 13 tests. And one of the two losses was by one, one run. So, you know, it's almost 12 out of 13. After a period where we'd won one test in 17. And how did he do that? It's partly his passion. It's partly his own personality and skill. I think it might be partly that he, like... Um, ben McCud um, Brendan McCullum uh, 
came through a period of depression in himself and got a new lease of life. He's that rare breed, isn't he, of being the best player and also a leader. Because we've seen previously the best player struggle to be the leader, haven't we? Sometimes. Such as Joe Root, brilliant cricketer, but seemingly the, the weight of captaincy was too heavy for him. Well, I had a lot of time for Joe Root, but it didn't quite work out. It didn't work out for him quite. You're right. And probably it, he became slightly less good as a batsman, but though he still had a terrific record as a batsman while he was captain. He was still, you know, he scored about a third of the runs we scored, I think, and almost all the, all the centuries that were scored over many matches. So he, he, didn't, he didn't lose it that much. But I think possibly he didn't quite have that confidence to say sometimes to people no we're going to do it this way and you know you, this is the way we're going to go which Joe uh, which Ben Stokes has had yes with McCullum's help and mm-hmm. total support Mike it's been an absolute pleasure uh, having you here in studio I wasn't going to mention it but I will you're never 81 <laughs> I'm afraid I am you're 81 it does, it, it does, one does sometimes wonder how did one get here <laughs> You look terrific on that, I have to say. Very briefly, Mike, I think values are very important in life. Yes. And, and and you very much feel that, don't you? Yes, I do. And in sport. And, you know, that includes total commitment to, to do, doing your best for yourself and for the team. So there's a sort of closeness to ruthlessness, but it's not quite ruthlessness. Not anything goes. And I like the fact that England try, uh, are having the attitude or trying to keep the attitude, we keep a smile on our face and enjoy it, even if we lose. You know, it is a game. It's not, it's not life and death. Yeah, it's yeah. very important, but it is still a game. And, and, and also it probably helps you if you have more of that attitude rather than less. Mike, it's been brilliant having you in studio. Turning over the pebbles, Mike Brealey's uh, new book, strongly recommend it. Uh, it's good to talk about somebody else's book, i.e. yours as opposed to his, which he <laughs> constantly claims is a bestseller, which it actually is, Mike. I must get it. Your 100% essential download. Outspoken with White and Jordan. Thanks for listening to Outspoken. Don't forget to leave a five-star review and subscribe so you don't miss an episode. We'll be back on Monday.